Here we go. My name's Todd. Mrs. Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Pop Culturing, where we talk about pop culture, right? <laughs> well, we talk about movies. We talk about TV shows. And today, we are talking about one of your favorite movies of all time, because it's Thanksgiving and all. Why am I playing this, sweetie? Because it's the mess around. It is the mess around, but... In what part of the movie is this song play? When they're driving down the hallway, the highway, and Neil's um, sleeping. Yes, he is. And uh, Dell is not. No, he's not. He's jamming out to Little Ray Charles. Dell's trying to get his coat off. Well, this is before he's trying to get his coat it off. It got a little warm in that car, didn't it? Well, he threw his cigarette out the window. It's a great song, and I don't really know a whole lot of Ray Charles. I hold him in high regard as one of the probably better singer, songwriter, piano people of all time, but... It's not like I bought a bunch of Ray Charles CDs. But you've always loved that song. Just because of the movie. Right. Right. Um, But anyway, so this is a movie that's very near and dear to my heart. I celebrate this movie with two friends of mine that we kind of text each other the weeks previous to Thanksgiving. Because it's a Thanksgiving movie. You text each other before Thanksgiving. I think like what we do is like... Two weeks before, uh-huh. we send each other YouTube clips uh-huh. or trivia about the movie. To get ready? To get ready because we always watch it in our own houses, uh, but we always kind of have each other in mind. So shout out to uh, Chris Hansen and Charlie Donnelly because uh-huh. those are the two guys that I think like this movie the most. I mean, I think my friend Chris said, not only is it like the best comedy of all time, uh-huh. and this may be overstating, but he's like, it's truly the best movie ever. Okay, well. And I I don't know if I go that far. I like Empire Strikes Back. I like a bunch of other kind of powerhouse movies. But this is in the... I watch it every year. I watch this movie more often than I watch probably any other movie, I think. Possibly, because it's become a like a tradition yeah. um, in our house. Well, actually, we watch it while we're in Seattle with your brother. Yeah. And we always watch it on Thanksgiving. So now our girls watch it every year. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely made our, it's way into our lives. And it's not just a, um, can you name any other Thanksgiving movies? Well, the girls watch Home Alone every year too. Is that a, do they go? That's a, that's a more of a Christmas movie. Yeah, it's a Christmas movie. Um, but I mean, definitely like, you know, you watch Halloween on Halloween. You watch, I usually watch The Shining or something like that around Halloween. Um, you know, I was telling the girls the other day that the tradition that I had growing up was at spring break, on spring break, we would always go see my aunt in Florida, and that's when they would play The Wizard of Oz, Mm -hmm. was around Easter. So I had a tradition of watching The Wizard of Oz at Easter, and only because we were at the mercy of the television, because we didn't have it on DVD and VHS, so you had to watch it whenever they replayed it. So I always had a tradition with that. Um, And, you know, Elf, you know. Um, we have, think about all the Christmas movies right. we love. All Christmas. Miracle on this, 34th Street. This is a, yeah, there's a billion Christmas movies. There's so you're talking Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, just Thanksgiving, specifically. There's like Home for the Holidays. Never heard of it. Um, I think that's a Jodie Foster movie. Or maybe it's not. Maybe I'm calling it the wrong thing. It was, uh, I remember it's a Thanksgiving movie because uh, Jodie Foster was the director and Robert Downey Jr. was in it and he was like, high the whole entire time he was on substance yeah and she knew it they were really good friends yeah and it was it's just i remember that whole story probably a tough shoot well 
you know, I think Robert Downey Jr. And again, he's so been he's been in recovery for a really long time and has done an amazing job. Do you remember all that stuff with Robert Downey Jr.? No. I mean, I everybody he thought he was going to die. Yeah, he was yeah. In jail a long time, and then he found the love of his life. And- he did, and it was her birth. How random that I know this, but it was her birthday because I just saw him post something to her on Twitter. Right. Um. So anyway, so shout out to him. Getting back to PTNA, and that's what I call it for abbreviation perspective. Okay. Or- um, I just think it's a movie that um, fits the the comedy is second to none, but it also has a lot of endearing moments in this relationship between these two strangers that come together in an effort to get home for their Thanksgiving uh, their Thanksgiving dinner. And I guess I'm just gonna jump around as I always do on this show. And I kind of wish I could rewatch it. So spoiler alert. Um, Del Griffith's wife, Marie, is dead the whole movie. You don't know that when right. you're watching yeah. it. Big spoiler in case someone hasn't seen it, honey. Yes. That's why I said spoiler alert. Okay. Did you give enough time, though? Yeah, I gave a second. All right. Um, and it, it's, it came out in 1987. So if you haven't seen it by now, <laughs> I'm not so sure that you deserve to get more than a second. I wish I can go back in time and see at what point I figured out that jo- that Del Griffith, played by John Candy, his wife, was not there. Because I think I was pretty, pretty oblivious, but they do drop a bunch of hints. They do, but not in like a sixth sense way where you go back and go, wow, that was so obvious. Like, he, the, he drops a few hints, but you can also look at those things and and they're very normal yeah like a few of the hints is he carries that picture of her well he has the picture but you could carry a picture if your wife is dead or alive he doesn't have a suitcase he has a what is it's a a footlocker yes he has like a so like that's he doesn't have a home that's what he says at the end of the movie he's like i don't have a home so that's i haven't been home in years he says that's one obvious hint but on that footlocker he has like there's a bunch of like uh, stamps as if he just travels around with this thing so okay so let's get deep for a second sure so Dell doesn't have anywhere that he calls home i don't think he does that's a great question like i can't say with he's uh, got to have an apartment or something somewhere i think i think and this is why the movie's great i think that he is still grieving his wife hit the loss of his wife and he doesn't want to have home a home without her without her so it's been eight years so in eight years he's lived in hotel rooms and just been and he's a very social guy so it seems like he has friends everywhere yeah and when neil page enters his life he's like sweet a new friend right kind of how it starts but like Um, it's reminding me a little bit of up in the air george clooney's movie yeah even though he does have an apartment but there's nobody yes. in right. it. Right, exactly. He's a salesman and he's like traveled yeah. more than right. anybody. He's Mr. Miles. Um, so um, that was one hint. And okay. then when he says, I haven't been home in years, that's another hint. Um, when they get stuck in Wichita, he says, uh, you called home, I called the Braidwood Inn. Right. And if he is as if he is in as love with his wife as you would think, the first call you make is home. Yeah. Instead, he calls the hotel. Right. So really subtle and nuanced. Well, and I guess why doesn't he want, why doesn't he feel the pressure to get home to his wife the way that Neil feels the pressure to get home to his wife? Right. And I think 
Dell is trying to uh, pretend that he really wants to go somewhere, but he's just enjoying this. Whereas Neil is, uh, you know, they show clips of his kids. Well, that's the other thing. Like in the whole movie, they go, they show clips of his kids at like the but, house. But that's because Neil is the protagonist of the movie. Correct. So it's like, you, you don't never, think about no, it. No, you don't. You think about the fact that whosoever point of view you're supposed to be following. Mm-hmm. And we know that from the beginning because the opening scene is Neil right. in a funny business meeting where he's running late with Ferris Bueller's dad. Yes. Um, but he, you know, so you know that he's the one you're supposed to be following. So um, after uh, their at the beginning of the first night at the hotel, after Del Griffith takes all of the towels and he's drinking beer and he's smoking and he's like making all those horrific noises with his mouth to clear his sinuses. He's got to clear his sinuses or he'll snore. Finally, Neil um, flips a lid. He does. And this is just a quick clip from that. You have to discriminate. You choose things that are that are funny or, or mildly amusing or interesting. You're a miracle. Your stories have none of that. They're not even amusing accidentally. Honey, I'd, li- I'd like you to meet Del Griffith. He's got some amusing anecdotes for you. Oh, and here's a gun so you can blow your brains out. You'll thank me for it. <sighs> I-, I-, I could tolerate any-, any insurance seminar. For days, I could sit there and listen to them go on and on with a big smile on my face. They'd say, how can you stand it? I'd say, because I've been with Del Griffith, I can take anything. So he goes on. Like, that's just the beginning of his soapbox just tearing Del to shreds. So mean. So mean. But don't you think everybody identifies with Neil? Well. Because there's Dells out there in the world, right? Okay. So first of all, we need to back up in a lot of ways. because Let's back up. We need to back up. This is why. Yes, I completely identify with Neil, and I probably would have lost my mind before that moment. I would have never been so mean to a person. I don't. I hope not. Maybe you know. We we sometimes we lose our minds, but but I also want to say that I you know <laughs> I don't like I don't know how to say this. Like the the first like thirty minutes of this movie, maybe first hour of this movie, I find it hard to watch. Yeah, because it's uncomfortable. It's Correct. deliberately uncomfortable. I know, but I it's so interesting because I watch it with you and I watch it with other people and you tell me about how much people love it. But all these horrible things are happening. Like I'm not getting joy watching Don't you think it's funny? Well, I mean, now I do because now I know exactly what, but let me just say that the first, and again, people who love this movie are like, oh, it's so bad. I'm not saying I dislike it. I'm saying it's not like an easy, calm watch for me. It's kind of like an uncomfortable, um, I know it's worth it. You know, you and I have talked on pop culturing a lot about movies that earn their ending, Mm -hmm. like a Shawshank Redemption ending. Um, PTA has one of those, you know, where you go through it with them and you, the ending feels earned. So I get that. And it's part of our, you know, our family, but I don't enjoy the first 45 minutes of this movie. I'm like, sweetie, this isn't the first 45. Oh, Why did you kiss my ear? Why are you holding my hand? Where's your other hand? Between two pillows. Those aren't pillows. Oh, boy. Okay, so John Hughes. That's um, one of the more brilliant 
moments in cinema history. Okay, so that feels like such an exaggeration. Maybe it's because I'm so used to that scene. Right, because that's the scene that every that scene and then the car the car rental scene. Because we say a part of our like vernacular, like things people say is those aren't pillows. Mm-hmm. Like those we this is something you and I have grown up with. Um, and you because you don't know, <laughs> like. You, That's such John Hughes music. Yes. Like, you know how it's like that makes that sound? Yes. He totally used to that in 16 Candles. Right. Like where things are just huge. Yeah. You know, they like, it's bigger than it really. The, the the sound. Sound effects. To, yeah. To, yeah, that's exactly right. I think that that's just hilarious comedy. I know. I, and you know what? It is. I'm not saying it's not funny. It's just, you just said it's one of the most. Where did Dell have his hand, sweetie? Between his, his butt. Between his butt? Uh-huh. Right? Two pillows. Probably just somewhere hiked up pretty close to his crotch. Right. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, am I wrong? No, no, no. Okay. No. It's just I've never really asked anybody that question. I it's, think we're supposed to assume two pillows are the two right. sides of your butt. Right. Right? He just Did it have in his butt crack or yes. between his legs? I think that's my question. Is it, oh, is it between his legs mm. or is it in his butt crack? Good because, question. Because how do you put your hand in someone's butt crack? Right. There's, there's not enough skin. <laughs> there's not enough flesh. But it's got to be like the thighs of his legs. You know what? I think thighs, you're right. I right? think you're right. And I think... This just, is why we do the podcast, so we can figure out these important <laughs> things. Where was Dell's hand? And we'll never know. It's just written. But Todd and I always enjoy... The scene where they first walk into that hotel room because they realize there's one bed and they have to like talk about like football. Yeah. And then because they're so, they're so, what is it, emasculated by the fact that they may have to like share a bed. Yeah. And then after that moment, when they literally have to shake it off. See that Bears game last week? Yeah. Hell of a game. Hell of a game. Bears got a great team this year. They're going to go all the way. Oh. Yeah. So they have to like talk about manly things too. You know, something I love, and let's just say this for overall for John Hughes movies, everything is in Chicago. Yes. And I freaking love it. I think growing up with that, I never realized how great that is. Mm -hmm. Like that all these movies that we love, Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, Ferris Bueller, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I think even she's having a baby. Yeah. We're based in Chicago. I don't think John Hughes did a non-Chicago type movie. What about Vacation? Yeah, they lived in Chicago. Yeah. They started in Chicago. Yeah, and he wrote that, but I don't think he directed it. He didn't direct it. it was directed it, by he Harold Ramis. Yes. I believe. Could be wrong. A little, and it was the a car National Lampoon in movie. Vacation is the same. Is similar to the car in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's a family truckster. Sure was. Yeah, so Dell's car at the end is yes. similar to that. Yeah, the yeah. rental car that they did. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so... I, so I don't want to fast forward to the ending. Don't, yeah. I do want to talk about the ending because it's interesting to me. Um, Well, before you go there, because there's like, I have like 10 things. What do you have? First of all, that Kevin Bacon's in this movie, which I love Kevin Bacon because, and again, he was a John Hughes guy because he was in She's Having a Baby, which is one of my favorite movies. It's an underrated film. Nobody watched it. I think it did horrible at the box office. I know. But see, I would love to do She's Having a Baby for Pop Culturing because it's really deep. Yes. And, and, you know, we, the other podcast that Todd and I do is Unparenting Radio and talk about a deep awareness about what's most important and with your family. So I love that movie. But Kevin Bacon pops up and it was just fun to see him. I I know I watch it every year, but like he's so young Mm. and attractive and he doesn't even say a word. And I love how... Kevin Bacon does that. He shows up in movies like 
you know, a few good men or, you know, like he just, he doesn't Animal care. House. Animal He's like just in a small role. Yeah. But Animal House was before Footloose. Yeah, Animal House is like 1978. Right, and I'm talking about like after he was Red McCormick. Oh, you're saying after he was somebody important, yeah. he still shows up as these kind of weird... Random roles. Few Good Men, I think you said and that. And he was in this movie with Jennifer Aniston called Pitch Perfect, and he was like oh, a yeah. side character. Like, he just is like, sure, I'll take the role. I, yeah. I just love him for that reason. And, and he, he and Kira lost all their money. I know. Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff. I know. But... I'm sure they're doing they okay. are doing okay. I think mean, about that. They probably accumulated... Millions and millions of dollars and I lost know. it all. Oh, God. I can't even imagine. Okay, what else do you have? Um, So let's talk about, oh, just that scene with Kevin Bacon. The thing I was going to say was, so what's happening in that moment, this is the first 10 minutes of the movie, but, um, you know, it's kind of a funny opening scene. And, you know, Steve Martin really wants to get to the airport yeah. because he wants to get home. And he goes, you know, he's in New York and he goes outside to hail a cab. And I was like, man, the days before Uber and lift yep. like you were at the mercy and it was like what five o'clock in new york in manhattan actually this is part of my uh part of another section of this podcast but when he when steve martin looks at his watch yes. while he's sitting there because they they show his plane ticket yeah his, it says his six. flight leaves at six uh-huh. o'clock arrive in chicago at six forty-five because they you gain an hour going from east to central right so at four forty-five. He has to make a 6 p.m. flight. Correct. And I actually did a Google Maps last night. Okay. How long does it take? It's 18 miles from downtown Manhattan to JFK. But what about rush hour? So when I did it last night, which was after rush hour, it was 34 minutes. I'm okay. guessing it's an hour. So there's – he the, the likelihood of him making that, even if he were to walk out and get a cab immediately – like he really was. But here's the thing: this was before 9/11, right? Because oh, we used true. to show up you for flights five minutes before. That's right. You didn't have to like go through all oh, of I this all stuff. About that. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember just showing up and like people who brought you to the airport would walk you to the yeah, gate, all the way to the gate? Yeah. No driver's it, license. No. No. It was just. And then when you'd get off the plane, I remember again going back to like traveling as a kid, getting off the plane, and my aunt would be right there. Yeah. They'd be waiting at the gate for you. Yeah. So it's different time, but still, and he did make it. Didn't he? He made it at like 5.58 and only for it to be delayed. Okay. So are you going to, are we going to talk about his wife? Uh, I didn't plan on it, but let's. Okay. Because she, this is the part that drives me crazy. Go ahead. Okay. What's her name? Uh, not the, I mean, we can know the actress too, but. Marie. Uh, I don't know. I'm embarrassed to say I don't remember. Well, he doesn't refer to her by name a lot. He just calls her his wife. Yeah. And because she has a role, because mm-hmm. we see her face, we yeah. don't. Okay. Anyway, Todd and I laugh at this scene. Do you, you don't have the scene, do you? I got it. Okay, so play it so I don't have to explain it. Before I play it, um, okay. that music that John yeah. Hughes... It's played throughout, but I it's know. really effective. So anyways... I'm in Wichita. Wichita, Kansas? Are you all right? What happened? We couldn't land in Chicago. I I don't understand what Wichita has to do with a snowstorm in Chicago. What's going on, Neil? (laughs) What's going on, Neil? Okay, so let's talk about that. How do you not understand how Wichita relates to Chicago? I think you need to give her a break. She just woke up from a dead sleep. Okay, 
Yeah, but if there's a snowstorm in Chicago, if you, you travel all the time, yes. okay? So if you were to call me and say, I'm in Wichita because of the snowstorm in Chicago, yeah. that wouldn't not compute for me, right. A. B, what's going on, Neil? Mm -hmm. As if like there's some pretty- yeah, Are you cheating on me right. or something? It's what's... like this accusatory tone that she uses. It is, as if there's like some conspiring. Now- the thing we don't know, like, and maybe, and we kept, I kept saying to Todd, I wonder what direction she was given by Hughes. Like, yeah. what did he tell her to feel in those moments, like as an actress? Because is there something in the script we didn't know? Like you said, a lot of scenes were cut from that movie. Yes, so was it that he lied to her and said he'd be home by a certain time? Does he have a history of not, you know, following through? Do they have some kind of marital problems we're unaware of? But she's so accusatory. Right. Of something to me that seems so normal. She just kind of has this weird vibe throughout the movie. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, so that's wife. Okay. okay. What else? What else you got? Um, let's see. Uh, blah, 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 wife. Um, oh, this is really not a big deal, but it made me laugh. From again, it's a Gen X perspective is what we're always talking about. Is when they're in the airport and Dell says to Neil, um, "You know, you called home. I called the, the Bravewood Inn. Yeah, the Bravewood Inn." Um, Neil is trying to call a bunch of hotels. And I do remember everybody, you know, Gen Xers, how at the hotel. There at would, the airport, you mean? I'm sorry, honey. Yes. At the airport, there would be a bunch of phones and around the phone would be a picture of a hotel or like, you know, Holiday Inn. Yeah. And all you had to do is pick up that phone. Ring a dingy. And it would call the Holiday Inn. Um, and so everything, like you had to stand in line and wait for these phones. And it's funny because you know what you said after I said that last night? Mm. You go, are those, aren't those still there? I still feel like they might be there, but maybe not. Uh, maybe I, maybe you're at the it airport. It is very old school, but I still think they have some of those. But we have cell phones, so I why know, would they? I know, and the fact you just Google nearest hotel, yeah. and you can do it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And that's the thing is, does your mind think they're there because you grew up with them? Yes. You know, so um, so I guess the rest of the stuff can come later because we got to talk about the guy and his mice. Uh, oh, Yes. <laughs> Um, you can't play it. It's no, just a funny No, that's very scene. a visual thing. So when, upon rewatching it last night, we picked up <laughs> on a few things. And while they're sitting at one of the train stations or bus stations. They're I sitting think. at a bus station and Steve Martin's in the middle. So it goes Dell and then Neil and then this random guy. Sitting right next to him. <laughs> He's got a box on his lap with a hole that you can see. There was two mice playing on his lap and you can see that they have climbed out of the box. Yeah, and they're just climbing around. And again... You would never see that on first viewing. No. Maybe not on 12th viewing, but why? Yeah. Like, what is that just supposed to give us an indicator of they're kind of in no man's it's land? Just everything is going wrong. And of course, there's a guy sitting next to them with mice <laughs> just walking around. Maybe laugh. Okay, um, so go ahead. All right. So I want to play this part. All right. Who knows a tune here? Who wants to sing a tune? Who's got a song? I got one. Uh... You got one. Neil Page has got one. Three coins in a fountain, <laughs> each one seeking happiness. You know this, seeking happiness. Thrown by three hopeful lovers. No. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones, and the modern family. So what's great about that is you think like Neil is the one who's got all of his stuff together. His hand on the pulse of society, or and whatever. And Neil is kind of the buffoon in that moment, and Dell comes and saves the day. Right. 
And I, that just doesn't happen very often in this movie. I like it when he's like, you know this. Yeah. You know this. And you kind of hear one person clap. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay. Thrown by three hopeful lovers. <laughs> he, used to, he used to sing that all the time. I know. I got to bring that back. Three coins in a fountain. So... Yeah, so basically Dell is in his element on that bus. Yeah, because he's with his people. He's with his the people. The bus people. Yeah, the they're people awesome. people that ride the bus. They know the songs. They know the Flintstones. Because Neil, okay, it's a great character development moment because like you said, we could say he's the buffoon or we could say he's so removed, like even maybe from his wife, mm-hmm. even maybe from what's most important to him. Yeah. That it's a little deeper than just who's going to be the fool. Right. It's like Dell is much more connected to people, even if they they drive him or he drives them crazy. He's trying. He's an empathetic man. Yeah. And Neil is so like it. Now, speaking of, there's one part of the movie that you said last night. Okay, so there's a point when they're getting on the train, and Neil's like, "I'm gonna go sleep by myself." Yeah. Dell, I'll see you later. Thanks. And Dell's bummed. Totally but Dell's like, bummed. okay. He's losing his buddy. He's losing his buddy. And you said, watch this part. He totally talks to the girl next to him. Right. And you and w- tell me what that means to you. For me, I think Neil has been talking to Dell throughout the movie. Okay. And he just wants peace and quiet. Okay. And the minute he has some quiet on the train and there's this, you know, 15-year-old girl next to him, he realizes that he can kind of go back into normal conversation. And so he does that and he says, you going home for Thanksgiving or something like that. It's just very kind of, they're exchanging pleasantries. But you thought that like Neil is a guy who just doesn't want to talk to anybody at all. When in fact, as soon as he gets removed from Dell for even, even within five minutes, all of a sudden Neil feels like, oh, I can, I can be normal and have a conversation again. Whereas before that, he was always he was so just annoyed and yeah. uptight. And he's like... Yeah, I kind of looked at that scene as like, you know how when you're in a really good mood mm-hmm. and you just have, you're kind of overflowing with a little more love than usual? Yes. Um, and he, you know, that girl reading her Family Ties magazine, um, she doesn't really want to talk to him, but right. she, he just has a little bit of love. And he's also with somebody who... It's not give an inch, take a mile like Dell is. Right. Like There's he an couldn't, even exchange. Exactly. He couldn't engage with Dell because he knew it, he would run with it. Right. So I just found it to be like a moment of where you see Neil is really happy. Right. But it doesn't last very long. Hi. Going home for Thanksgiving? Yeah. Me too. Just going to make it. And plus, he's just happy because he thinks yeah, he's about to be home. Just gonna make. And it. she's reading an Us magazine, and it says why we love Family Ties. Why do we love Family Ties? Because I love of, Family Ties because of Alex P. Keaton. Duh. I know. Do you know? I heard a interview, and I think it was on Dax Shepard, and I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about the fact that one of the girls. I don't know if he was interviewing the girl or if it was like a daughter of hers, but she had had a daughter named Mallory mm-hmm. or something, or maybe her name was Mallory. And they're like, my parents named me after characters on TV and they wanted me to be really smart, like these characters on TV. And I was like, Mallory on Family Ties was not. She was the ditz. That's what I mean. So that was a parent fail. Yes. If they're choosing Oops. someone on TV, they should have chosen, what was Teeny Other's name? Um, 
does it really matter? Jennifer. Jennifer. Jen- what do you mean, does it really matter? She, ne- she didn't add anything to that show other than when Teeny she was- others. Even, except for when she was a little kid. When she was brand new and young on that show, yeah. she was cute. But then as soon as she became- Older? Uh, you don't, Are you saying she wasn't cute? I, she was a cute little girl. Right. But then she hits puberty and she's just like this teenager and it's right. just not- She's not as endearing. I feel bad for kids who have to grow up on TV like that. Like, sure. remember when Luke on Modern Family just didn't go through a great phase? No and doubt. It, you know, like where they're... Can you imagine having to grow up in front of people like no. that? How hard that would be? For sure. Okay. So anyway. Um, and, but Luke, I don't know what the actor's name is, but he's like some mathematician genius guy. Yeah. And so is Winnie from Doogie Howser, I, by, by the way. No, Winnie from The Wonder Years. Oh, sorry. Winnie from The Wonder Years. Yes. Thank you. She's also some math genius. She's she like is. MIT person. She is. She wrote a book about how, why people should, I think even girls should love math more yes. than they do. Yes. Yeah. She's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, and those are perfect examples is it's like, um, and some people, it, the ideal thing is, I mean, there really is no ideal, but cause who knows if it's as good or bad, but is to like be a child actor and then like go away for a while and skip some years just so you can have that very privacy. awkward to go from boyhood to manhood or girlhood, girlhood to, to womanhood. Yeah. It's a very awkward thing. Well, and it, and as we have seen a million times, it can really screw you up. Yeah. I mean, look at what, you know, Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan, like we just really messed yeah, some most, kids most up. Most kids get screwed up by being famous young. I know. You know, we, but, got, we got like Ron Howard and. Well, and I was just about to say the wonder years, um, what's his Kevin name? Arnold. Fred Savage. Yeah. He and he's now like a director, really established, really established yeah. and well thought of. And uh, he's just a wonderful dude. So here is my favorite scene, not moment, but just scene okay. in the movie. And it's kind of I'm obviously not going to play the whole thing, but let's just start here. Okay. Hey! Hey! hey, what's going on? Some Joker wants the race. That's ridiculous. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Put your window down! You want something? Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He says we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Terrific. Thank you. What a moron. That is the best. Sweetie, how would he know where we're going? When Neil Page says how, like, it makes perfect Perfect sense. sense. I thought the same thing. I'm like, yeah. How would he know know where we're going? (laughs) Oh, he's drunk. And there's a scene where they point the camera towards the road and the car is speeding by. And you're you're supposed to be looking at it from Neil's perspective. Yeah, yeah. And that is kind of the moment where he's like, oh, we're going in the wrong, wrong side of the wrong road. side of the road. But I don't understand why that tells Neil that he's going the wrong way. Like, because, first of all, think about if you have two highways. Yeah. A four lane highway. For, or Yeah. Like you've got a median in between. Yeah. Like initially he's just waking up. So he's like, there's some people over there and we're parallel to them. Yeah. But you're supposed to be going the other way of the people parallel to you. Right. So I think he's just like picking up on that fact. I, I didn't quite understand that. Well, maybe he's just waking up. Yes, I think he's just starting to come around. It's a little like in Dumb and Dumber when he goes the wrong way. When he says he goes to uh, 
He's like, that John Denver was full of shit. That's right. He drives east instead of... He ends up in Kansas or something. No, he goes back to Nebraska. He goes back to Nebraska. John Denver's full of shit. Um, and I just love hearing them laugh together. They're I mean, like bonding, yeah. They're, they're, well, it's when the car starts on fire. And they're just thinking And they're hilarious. looking at the car on I fire. I got to play this. <laughs> How could you rent the thing anyway without a credit card? I mean, you couldn't. I mean, how could you do it? Oh, I gave this gal behind the counter a set of shower curtain rings. <laughs> you can't rent a car with shower curtain rings, though. Oh, boy. That was about to get in trouble. He had Neil's credit card. So can I talk about that scene? Sure. And actually, there's a few moments where this happens, where they laugh. Um, you know, because here's the thing, why I said the first 45 minutes of the movie is hard, is Neil, and we're supposed to go through this with him, thus the reason right. it's difficult, but he's very controlling, and he thinks things shouldn't go a certain way. Maybe he feels a bit entitled. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is what happens in life. Like, you and I were just talking about a friend that's been having a really hard time, and you were saying he's gotten to the point where he's laughing. Mm-hmm. And this is what happens to all of us when we realize we don't have control. Yeah. And we kind of go from like bare knuckling it where we're pissed and mad and we're lashing out just like he does, you know, to the rent-a-car lady, the other Ferris Bueller lady. And we think it should be a certain way and we're angry. And then it gets to the point where you realize life is absurd. Yes. It's absolutely absurd. And sometimes it takes us a while to even with the most like difficult things. Like I, I, I have, um, I've written about this a number of times about how even when I was working at the hospital with children who were like really struggling and had emotional and behavioral issues and we, my, the staff that I worked with, we would sometimes get hit and beat up and it was just a really hard job. And you know how we managed? Mm. We would laugh and not at the kids. I don't mean we'd laugh at the kids. We would laugh at ourselves and we had humor and we had jokes to keep ourselves from going into the dark places. And this is what we do as parents. I mean, you and I do. Like we, we get to laugh Laugh or cry. You're going to laugh or cry. And crying's good. Yeah. It's not choosing it's if laughter comes allow it because it's all absurd you don't control things you know like you don't well and i would say like we all i think most people identify with neil because he's a little bit more quote-unquote typical Mm -hmm. um but then all of a sudden john hughes who writes it you know all of a sudden neil like in the the flintstones bus thing like he's not as cool the same thing goes for this scene i can't relax if i got my shoes on I don't care to breathe your foot out or leave the shoes on. Gee, it must be swell to be so perfect and odor-free. You know, there's plenty of things about you that bother me, but I'm uh, decent enough not to bring them up. Really? That's right. What do I do that bothers you? Well, there's lots of things. Uh, Name one. Why don't you name one? There's quite a few things. You want me to name one? Yeah. Fine, man. You play with your balls a lot. I do not with my balls. <laughs> Larry Bird doesn't do as much ball handling in one night as you do in an hour. Are you trying to start a fight? No, I'm simply stating a fact, that's all. You fidget with your nuts a lot. You know what would make me happy? 
Another couple balls and an extra set of fingers. <laughs> so here's my question. Okay. Neil, because Neil just can't can't wait for the opportunity where Dell's like, you do a lot of things because Neil doesn't think he does no, anything. No, he thinks annoying. there's nothing about him. And he, as the viewer, right. we don't we see, don't see him it. doing mm-hmm. anything because he's the protagonist. So yeah. when Dell's like, there's plenty of things you do, and Neil's like, sweet, I can't wait because Neil thinks that he's infallible, that he doesn't stink, right? And then all of a sudden, Dell's like, there's lots of things. And I just wonder, like, he totally, like, zoomed him on that. Like, he totally, like, burned him because Neil probably knows. Well, that is such, like, sometimes that kind of thing. Like, I always talk about how um, baseball players are doing that on TV. Sure. I always bring it up. I'm like, dude, like, we're the camera is right on you. <laughs> and you will always say to me, um, th- they have a cup on, yeah. they can't help it, they don't care that they're on TV, they need to do that. I get that. But it really is, like, when you're watching somebody... And they're constantly playing with their cup or mm. rearranging themselves. It is a little distracting For or sure. it's a little like, dude, you're on TV. Yeah. So I think that is that can be a form of like anxiety mm. and discomfort and like tr- control. Yeah. Don't you? Because baseball players do it so much. Like a lot of times they're doing it at bat. So you may say to me, they don't care, but you are at you are batting. So you know that camera's on you. You like need it's to be not, comfortable if you're going to swing a, a round bat and hit a round ball. I don't ball. think they're constantly trying to get comfortable. I think it's an anxious oh, it like, could be a movement tick. thing. It could be a tick, yes. but it could be some physical let's, rearranging. Let's talk probability. How much of that <laughs> cup moving or, you half, know, you think it's half Half the half. guys are adjusting because they need to adjust because something doesn't feel right and the other half it's probably like a tick it is like a tick and it's like one of their superstition things like i need it maybe it could be those are probably three different things like superstition movement tick and then just you need to adjust because i pitchers and and i everyone who knows baseball knows this but pitchers and batters have things that they do so repetitiously and it may be unconscious it may be by choice because they think they'll do better if they do these like superstition things you know um but anyway, so. Um, so there's a lot more clips that I want to play, but okay. I won't because I, I want to talk a, a few things that questions I had. So okay, we talked ahead. about the 6 a, the six a p.m. flight. Uh-huh. So these are just, you know, as much as I love this movie, there's a few questions I have that okay. don't seem to make sense. Everybody's sleeping on the plane. And the, f- the flight, well, I guess we don't know what time the flight took off. Correct. Now, I think he got on the 8 p.m. I don't know. But the even 6 p.m. If, was canceled. Even if he got off at the 8 p.m., what's the likelihood of everybody sleeping? Well, when it's dark out, most people yeah, put they, the... Then they shut the cabin yeah, lights off. Yeah. Okay, I'll concede that one. Um, we we definitely have to play the most famous scene of the movie, which is when he says the F word 18 times in 60 seconds. You don't need to play that. Don't you think nah, we have to? Nah. Oh, yeah, I think we do. Nah. So for uh, any moms or dads that are listening with their kids around, you need to... Um, this was the only reason this movie got an R rating. That's exactly right. Because of this scene. Um, so listen to De- listen to Neil Page. This is why Neil deci- why Steve Martin decided to take the movie. Because he liked this scene. He liked this scene and then the car scene that we just talked about. So plus she's good. Mrs. Poole from Hogan's family. Also I would call her the secretary from Ferris Bueller. Secretary from Ferris Bueller. Yeah. And she ad libbed this turkey thing. Yeah, too, this whole thing, yeah. Which is pretty good. Yeah. Well, I'll see you tomorrow then. Gobble, gobble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bye bye. <laughs> Welcome to Marathon. May I help you? Yes. How may 
I help you? You can start by wiping that fucking dumbass smile off your rosy fucking cheeks. Then you can give me a fucking automobile, a fucking Datsun, a fucking Toyota, a fucking Mustang, a fucking Buick, four fucking wheels and a seat. I really don't care for the way you're speaking to me. And I really don't care for the way your company left me in the middle of fucking nowhere with fucking keys to a fucking car that isn't fucking there. And I really didn't care to fucking walk down a fucking highway and across a fucking runway to get back here to have you smile at my fucking face. I want a fucking car right fucking now. 18 times. Okay, so... Okay. How old do you think Steve Martin is? In real life in while that, he filmed this so movie? In Steve, when he did Parenthood, that was, was our first pop culturing ever, by yeah. the way, 1989. Yeah. This is 1987. So this is two years before Parenthood. In Parenthood, he's supposed to be 35, yeah. but he's not. Well, he's got a little kid, so I'm guessing he is early 40s, even though he's got gray hair. Yeah. Steve Martin's always been hard. It's hard to know his age because he's been gray for so long. Yeah. Okay. So that's just the first thing I was thinking of is like, how how old do you think he is? My question is, why this? couldn't he just wait for the next shuttle? Well, maybe it- I think he I think that scene. And again, it's not as I that's like, for example, when he's walking, I think he's going to V5. Mm, right. So V5. he's like V1, V2, V3. I don't like that scene. Like, it makes me so uncomfortable. Oh, it's so I, great. I don't laugh in that moment. I think I do discomfort laugh, but it's not laugh like dumb and dumber laugh. Well, it's physical humor because you see Steve Martin just freak in out. Agony. So that's what I was going to say is I don't think he's in a mindset of I'm going to wait for the shuttle. I think he's, he's done. Like, yeah, he's done. You're he right. He is done, and he throws that, you know. Yeah, the tickets. The tickets. Yeah, the rental he's cart rental done. agreement. And he he's not like in a mind. He wants to walk back because he wants to suffer. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like when we're so pissed. It's like when we're so pissed and someone's like, let me give you a ride. And it's like, no, I'm going to walk. Like, yeah. you're so mad that you want to suffer more. Um, so, I don't know. Um, so let's just fast forward to the end. Okay. So this, it's like an, it's an hour and 27 or maybe hour and 33 minute movie. Yeah, it's short. He had like six hours of footage and I would, apparently the footage is sitting in some Paramount storage and probably isn't even salvageable anymore because it's been sitting there. And it would answer your big question. Well, I just, I would love to see, because I so love these characters, I would love to see the six hour version of it. No, I mean, you kept asking me why John Candy had a black eye at the end. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the other thing. So John Candy, his right eye, he's like got a shiner. Yeah. And they never explain it. And Mm -hmm. as many times I've seen this movie, I've never thought about it until like last year when I saw it for the 55th time. Well, and I told you that something I read said that on their last trek, which is from that truck, yeah. and they are sitting in the back to the to the L yeah. in Chicago, that he while they're sitting in the back of the truck, Dell says something to the effect of, he definitely didn't want us to sit up there mm-hmm. or something. There, it's it, Supposedly it alludes to the fact that maybe the truck driver hit him. Right. But that's a big leap. I know, yeah. And maybe that's exactly what happened. But So, and, so the movie goes from funny and uncomfortable right. to like sad. Yeah. And hopeful and endearing. Did you read that John Hughes didn't know he was going to do that whole remembering scene? 
This he is, was just filming him. This is what I have here. He was just Steve Martin. In was just order, practicing. so so yeah. So the scene where um, they're doing flashbacks, and you hear in Neil's mind Dell saying, "I haven't been home in years," and he's starting to put the pieces together. Well, a little first bit. he's thinking about his family. Yes, and then he starts to think about Dell because he's kind of laughing a little bit. So this is what it said when I saw an IMDb. Okay. In order to get the new ending he wanted, now they didn't say what, what the, the new old ending, ending yeah, what the old right. ending was. Hughes and editor Paul Hirsch went back to look for footage they previously didn't think would be used. Hughes had kept the cameras rolling in between takes on the Chicago train without his lead's knowledge. While Martin was thinking about his next lines, Hughes thought Martin had a beautiful expression on his face in that unguarded moment. Like that, that information drives me nuts because I want to know what the old ending was. I know. Well, I think it's pretty cool that that whole like thinking about Dell, he was just practicing his lines and they just were able to Isn't that great? Incorporate There's something very it. sweet about that. Well, and that's, to me, that's what art is, is it's not always cut and dry, linear, black and white. Here we got the best take. Mm-hmm. You kind of take what you've got yeah. and you end up with something really beautiful. And that is probably for someone like me, who's so uncomfortable with the first 45 minutes of the movie, that's a very cathartic moment. So this is the big reveal at the end. You said you were going home. What are you doing here? I, uh... I don't have a home. Marie's been dead for eight years. So in the cut to where they're walking with Dell's Footlocker down the middle of the street. Trunk. The trunk, yeah. Um, it's funny, like, how else would they have ended this movie? Because if they just, if Steve Martin just would have went back and not had this reveal, it would have been a much weaker movie. Maybe. Like, how else? That's the only way you could have ended it. I know. Uh, well, it wouldn't have been anything. It wouldn't have been it anything. It wouldn't have had It'd any be a heart. bunch of funny scenes. Yeah, it would have been like, it would have been promoting of Neil Neil would have had no arc yes because he has to start out as kind of a controlling dude who ends up being super open-hearted yes and that would have made no sense I know so I thought it was beautiful um I have a bunch of trivia I want to go over real quickly but I just think that um oh I I know what I want to do I want to play this clip that I found it's an interviewer asking Steve Martin about John Candy okay I want you to sit here and kind of mourn the death of John, but tell me something you remember about your months together doing planes, trains, and automobiles. It was the first day of shooting. He brought all this exercise equipment in. Yes, you know, <laughs> jogging things, stationary bikes, and weights, and everything, and then never touched it. <laughs> <laughs> Is this a coincidence or what? <laughs> also, he. He was a brilliant actor, especially in planes, trains, and automobiles. I think it was his best work. You know, the, the first cut of the movie was four and a half hours long, so I think two hours got cut out. I like, I like me. My wife likes me. I saw him do scenes that are, aren't in the movie that are just breathtaking. And if some of those scenes seem almost too real, Martin told me it may have been a case of more than just good acting on Candy's part. Well, he was a very sweet guy very sweet and complicated 
And so he was always friendly, always outgoing and, you know, funny and nice and polite. But I could tell he had kind of a little broken heart inside him. Oh. I read the same thing. Yeah. That did you? I read an article about a, somebody who ended up talking with him. Roger had, Ebert. At a bar? At a bar. One yeah. night, a few years after Planes, Trains, and Automobiles was released, Roger Ebert, he says, I came upon John Candy sitting all by himself in a hotel. In a hotel bar in New York. First of all, why would John Candy be sitting by himself? Like, you just think that there'd be... But see, I think that's, that is, especially at our age, you know that's a misconception. Yeah. You know that famous people are lonely. Yeah. Like, if you're young, you For may sure. be like, oh, everyone's going to be around him. You know, when I see Bill Murray, he's always by himself. Yeah. And he shows up in Duran. And I'm not saying Bill Murray's sad. I'm right. saying that... You know, the loneliest people are sometimes the famous the famous people. Sitting all by himself in a hotel bar in New York, smoking and drinking, and we talked for a while. We were going to be on the same TV show the next day. He was depressed. People loved him, but he didn't seem to know that or it wasn't enough. He was a sweet guy, and nobody had a word to say against him, but he was down on himself. All he wanted to do was make people laugh, but sometimes he tried too hard, and he hated himself for doing that in some of the movies. I thought of Dell. There is so much truth in the role that it transforms the whole movie. Yeah, and then that movie with Ali Sheedy, Only the Lonely. Remember I that movie? Seen that. Oh, similar, like Lonely Guy. And, you know, let's talk Zen Parenting Radio for a second because that's our other podcast. What makes people, you can be in a room full of people and feel alone. Mm -hmm. Loneliness is not about people. It's about feeling connected to who you are mm. and feeling connected to other people. You could be with one person and feel completely not alone in the world. You could be by yourself. You could be by yourself in, in nature and realize that it not feel even an ounce of loneliness because you feel connected. If he did not feel connected to who he was or if he didn't feel like he had any connective tissue to anybody else, like he didn't feel like he didn't have love or if he did have a broken heart or if he didn't have children or if he even if he had all those things, if he didn't feel connected to those people, that's going to make create loneliness. No doubt. Yeah. Uh, a few other random trivia. Had Neil and Dell just stayed at the airport, they probably would have made it back to Chicago just in time. For sure. A scene played shortly after shows Neil's wife watching the news. And I think it's Tom Skilling's voice. Yes. And she's asleep. But he's saying that the next plane just left. Yeah, or like it's clearing yeah, up it's clearing and the up. airport's yep. opening up. Um, after the credits are done, Neil's boss is still at his desk analyzing the ads. <laughs> so wait until the very, 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 very end after and the credits. That guy is in She's Having a Baby. Yes, he is. And his Thanksgiving dinner is sitting on his desk, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Um, and this is an Easter egg. After Dell steals Neil's cab at the beginning of the movie, Neil looks down and sees the cab is gone. In the puddle on the ground, there are two shower curtain rings. Oh. Um, the movie ends with a freeze frame with of John Candy with a tight-lipped tight grin. Uncle Buck ends exactly the same way. A freeze frame of John Candy with the same expression. John Candy died of a heart attack March 4th, 1994, at the age of, how old do you think he was? He was 43. 43 years old, which is just insane. I know. Because I remember when he died, thinking to myself, wow, he was kind of young. And now that I'm 48, I was like, he's ridiculously no young. No kidding. He was a young man. He was like he had just begun. And last but not least, this is sad, the f owner of the Braidwood Inn. Uh-huh. Featured in this film, it's now called the Sun Motel, was arrested in 2019 on charges of promoting prostitution on the premises. The motel had also recently been the site of two drug overdose-related deaths. Oh, Braidwood Inn. Braidwood Inn, not so good. Not faring very well. 
Um, and then one other thing, um, this is just kind of an interesting thing. They get pulled over by the guy from, uh, Lenny from Laverne and Shirley yeah. and Michael McKeon? McKeon. Yeah. Who is also, yeah. Lenny. Yeah. Lenny. Uh huh. Um, and he's also in best in best show, in show yeah. which is one of our favorite movies. <laughs> um, he is a Wisconsin state trooper, Okay. which makes no sense because they're driving from St. Louis to Chicago. Oh yeah. They wouldn't go through, uh, yeah, what Wisconsin. a colossal editing screw up. Yeah, well, and again, maybe that can tell you that part of the four hours was that they ended up in the wrong state. Mm. Maybe they overshot Chicago. Yeah. That would have been funny. Gone the wrong way. So um, I guess that's it. So I, one thing. So yeah. Todd, when Todd and I first started dating, um, he, you know, it was in the olden days where, you know, obviously we had phones, but we didn't have text and stuff. So Todd would send me letters. And he sent, and they weren't all like love letters. They were just like, here's what I'm doing. You would always tell me about this bike trip you and Chris Peak. Thanks were a lot, go Chris on. Peak. He'd be like, I've got my bike ready. We're going on this bike trip. Chris Peak decided to go to law school instead. <laughs> what a jerk. Like that was going to help him in life at all. Yeah. Um, and you would always sign it, Todd, and then you'd say, P.S., go with the flow like a twig on the shoulder of a mighty stream. Drop the mic. Which is from this movie. Yes. And I didn't know that at the time because I think it was 90. What what year was that? 93. Yes. So I didn't know that. But then I watched the movie. I was like, oh, you're Just writing. Just go with the flow like a twig on the shoulder of a mighty stream. Love it's notes from PTA. Very simple. Um, so I don't know. What's, what closing music should I do? I kind of want to do something nice, but I don't know what it should be. Why don't you play... Um, Every time you go away. All right. This is the very end of the movie. And the movie ends beautifully. I love the fact that the ending scene, I actually got goosebumps last night when I was watching it, of John Candy. And maybe I'm thinking about him because he was going to be dead in seven years. Yeah. But he has this... Um, Gratefulness? It's For me, it's like haunting because it's huh. he goes from um, regret that Neil gets to enjoy... His life with his wife. Do you mean from jealousy? Yeah, not yeah. I guess envy. envy. Jealousy would be the wrong word, but envy. He's envious. He doesn't regret it because it's not him. Right, but he's just he wishes he had Marie. Right. So you could see that even still, the loss of Marie is still weighing on him. Eight. It's years melancholy. Later. It's bittersweet. And then he has kind of this gentle smile on yeah. his face, and it's not going to translate um, over this podcast. But if you watch it this weekend for Thanksgiving. Just take, um, just take a good look at Dell. So let me end on this, as because you said that it, that is the definition of bittersweet. Is that sometimes, like you know, at, at holidays we're missing people too, and there's we all have you know grief and people we miss, and you can miss them and simultaneously be grateful for the moment that you have. Yeah, and that's what his face conveys. I know. Yeah. Thank you, Steve Martin, John Candy, and John Hughes yeah. for such a wonderful thing. PTA, baby. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and feel free to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. 
Also subscribe to our Zen Parenting Radio podcast, where we discuss self-awareness and mindfulness, sharing the latest research and pop culture. We're on our ninth year, but there's still always something new to discuss. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen Talks through the Team Zen Podcast app. Zen Parenting Conference 2020 is February 28th and 29th. We'll be discussing sex ed, gender, anxiety, neurodiversity, and healthy relationships. Go to zenparentingconference.com to get your tickets. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. And while you're there, check out our upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. And guys, I have a one-on-one coaching practice. It's called Coaching for Guys. You want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationships with loved ones? We can talk in person, phone, FaceTime, you choose. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at Todd at ZenParentingRadio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald head of beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give him a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.